you know, when we think about church history, you know, the church kind of has a checkered past. Can we be honest this morning? We look back at churches and all that's gone on. and It's not all rosy, is it? <laughs> Some people are nervous to talk about it. You know, it's just, there's not everything about the church. And it's good to be honest about that. And, and why would we think that that's true? You know, there's, we focus on that because we have an expectation as to how Jesus' followers should act. And then when, when we fall short, when we come short of that, that standard, that, that standard that Jesus set for us, it is, it is difficult for us. But ultimately, in every walk of life, do you know that there's dysfunction? In the business world, there's dysfunction, right? You know, companies have crashed and lost money for thousands of people, but it doesn't really bother us as much. Why? Because it's just a business. There's not necessarily the standard set forth for business leaders. And again, that should be a good thing for us. It should be a standard for us to live up to as followers of Jesus. That, you know, even in my own, uh, looking back at my own church history, some of the, the meanest people I've ever met, met have been at church. Some of the craziest people I've met. I know that's not a politically correct term. Couldn't think of a better term. But you know what I'm talking about. But as I was thinking about that, you know, they weren't mean and crazy because of Jesus. They were mean and crazy before they got to church. They just didn't allow Jesus to change them. But this is what we should want. This is what we should desire as followers of Jesus as we think about the legacy that we are creating. And really, this is what this series is all about. We, we, We sit here today because of the church of the book of Acts, and then subsequently thousands of churches throughout the centuries, and then people here in Canada. And we we stand on the shoulders of the, the followers of Jesus that came before us. And thank God for that. But then what type of legacy are we creating is the question that we're asking in this series. That we all have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to pick up that mantle, so to speak, and be like, oh, I want to create a good future for the church, for my children and my grandchildren and my grandchildren, grandchildren, so that we can, so they can know Jesus and they can worship Jesus and they can have a place in a city where they can bring their friends to who are far from God so they can discover a relationship with God. We want to create a godly legacy. Can I get an amen? amen. So I'm expecting and I'm excited about the future that God has designed for the church in Canada, internationally, and then also here in Mississauga at the City Church. And, you know, as we think about this again, you know, we are creating a legacy, even if we don't want to think about it. But what we should do is we should be intentional, on purpose, be thinking and considering about the legacy that I'm creating. And this idea of legacy is a theme that we see over and over again in the scripture, just again, right back to Adam and Eve, that Cain who killed Abel. If we follow along in his genealogy, there's murderers down the line in his genealogy. And then Seth, the child that Adam and Eve had after Abel died. If you look down his lineage, we see famously Enoch, who was following after God, walking with God. And this is what we should desire. We should desire generation after generation for children to be serving God. So what does does my influence look like? 
Um, what are the results of my influence? And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. What, what is the aim for us as we desire to create a godly legacy? And also in this series, we're going to be receiving a legacy offering. I'm going to talk about that, what it's for, and the purpose of that here in a little bit. And I mentioned, and I recounted last week a little bit about my family's legacy. I won't go over that all again. Um, you can check out the message online. Um, but thinking about my family, thank God for my family and the history of my family as, as followers of Jesus and my parents specifically. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about my dad next week on Father's Day. Uh, but thank God for my parents. But then also thank God for people ahead of me in church. Looking back at my experience in church, there was always somebody a little bit older than me, a little bit further down the road that I could look up to, somebody that would befriend me as a child and then as a young person, as a student, as a young adult. There was somebody who wasn't my parents, again, thank God for my parents, but there was somebody who wasn't my parent who was also pointing me to Jesus. And again, as the family of God, this is what we need to see as our responsibility, that there's, it's good for us to be another voice into another child's life, another student's life, other than their parent, to point them towards Jesus. Because it's easy to discount your parents sometimes. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because they're always telling you stuff to do. And then if there's somebody else that you respect and somebody else that you can know and somebody else that you can have a good conversation with, that you also can point somebody else to Jesus. The Apostle Paul here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is running to Timothy about this very idea of legacy. And he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God on whom I serve, as did my ancestors. So Paul is talking about a legacy that was given to him. With a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. So we see three generations represented as it relates to Timothy's family, and, and Paul is drawing significance that this faith was handed down, that this faith that was at one time your, your grandmother's and then your mother's then became personal to you, and this is what we need to do for the next generation. We need to prepare a way for them so that they can embrace a relationship with God on their own, that they can see your example and they can, you can teach them about the principles of God and then they can embrace faith in God as well. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. In other words, an eternal thing. This is what God is after, that we would continue to create a legacy so that people who follow after us can also know God, to be in a relationship with God. And we could see these markers in the scripture. We could see faithfulness and generosity and perseverance and trust in God and love and truth. And again, I, I mentioned how all of these are resident in my parents who pastored here for many years before my wife and I, and they'll be here in second service they're still faithfully attending church at 85 and 83. And, and thank God for that. And, and these ideas are broadly true, and we want them to be locally true here in our church family, but we want them to be true in me 
As an individual, I should be picking up these things that Jesus has left for us so that I continue to create a legacy going forward. All right, I just want to make mention of the legacy offering real quick. I, I won't go into as much detail as I did last week, but I mentioned on Vision Sunday back in February that our tenant here behind this wall, um, they came to us last year and they were mentioning they had still, uh, many of their staff are still working from home and they felt like they were just going to continue with that. So they didn't need as much office space as they had. And they asked us, would we like to take back some of that space? And I said, yes, absolutely. We need the space. So what we're going to be doing, uh, about 1,000 square feet over there, we're going to be uh, building two new walls. We're going to have a couple doors in there, and it's going to serve as storage. It's going to serve as a space uh, for our city team to drop their stuff safely before service and, and different things like that. And it's going to be a multi-purpose room. and use it for a lot of different things. Um, but our legacy offering this year is going to go towards that. Now, I mentioned that over the last couple of years, uh, the legacy offering that we received has come, has come in to update our building a little bit, our... Bathrooms upstairs were updated in the first year. If you've never used those bathrooms, they're amazing. My wife designed those, and they're great. I've had people go in there like, these are better than a restaurant. I'm like, I know. My wife is amazing. And, uh, and then last week, we, uh, last week, last year, we updated our deck back there. Our deck back there was about 15 years old. It was falling apart. And so part of our legacy offering went towards updating that deck. And so this year, our goal is to uh, receive $70,000 to be able to do those upgrades. Now, I've already had a lot of people come to me and offer their services for free. If they could do some construction and painting, thank God for that. But that is our budget presently to be able to do that. And we've got to build walls. We've got to change lighting. We've got to do electrical. We've got to do some sprinklers. So there's a bunch of things that go into that. And so that is our goal for the legacy offering. And then also, just to make mention of it, last couple of years with our legacy offering and your generosity, we've been able to give to eight other churches in the last couple of years. And some of those churches were in building programs. And so thank God that we were able to invest in other churches and what they are doing in their cities. And thank God when we do that, we get into discipleship multiplication. So again, that is our goal for this year. And this is over and above our regular tithes and offerings. If you're visiting with us this morning, this isn't for you. But it, this, this is your home church. This is for you. So all of us together uh, will be able to do this. So I made mention of this practically speaking last week. Uh, most of you give electronically. And in that spot where it says tithes and offerings, if you just click that spot, it'll say legacy offering 2023. You can give there. And then also we have these envelopes back at the giving kiosk. You can grab one and you can give it um, anywhere in the next little while so that we can tackle that and have a great new room for our team. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. <clears throat> So last week, we talked about loving God and how important that is for us and how having rightly ordered love, God at the center, God at the highest place in our lives, affects so many different things in our lives. And we're going to love God by being obedient to him. The scripture talked to us about that. And again, if you missed that message, you can catch up on our YouTube page. But let's read this again this week. Matthew 22, verse 34. It says that Jesus... Sorry, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. And I love these stories when they're always testing Jesus, trying to catch him in his words, and they always failed. Verse 36, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So he wanted Jesus to look back at the Old Testament, and he wanted Jesus to give some sort of answer, and he was going to 
try to get him in his theology. And Jesus replied, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So rightly ordered love, God at the center. And then verse 39, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus, looking back at the Old Testament, pulling out these two commands from the totality of the story, the narrative, the law, the prophets, the poetry. What is the greatest thing that we see in the Old Testament? Well, we love God first with all of our energy, with all of our passion. And then the second is like it, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves, that we would love people. And the reality is the outworking of this is the most challenging part of following Jesus. Again, I've said to you many times, it would just be easy to say yes to Jesus and then not have to deal with people who follow him. Can be difficult sometimes, but there is this vertical nature to our relationship with God, obviously, that God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him. This vertical knowing God, knowing who he is, understanding the character and nature of God. But then Jesus quickly joins the horizontal to the vertical, this 90-degree angle that, yes, we have a relationship with God, and this is where everything starts. But we need to love our neighbor as ourselves, And sometimes that's hard. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes it's hard to love you. <laughs> and then look back at them and say, right back at you. <laughs> This is the difficulty, but this is the command for followers of Jesus. It can't just be loving God. So important, so necessary, rightly ordered. But when we get that right, the outgrowth of my love for God is that he pours his love in us so that we can love other people. And we see over and over again the illustration, the the metaphor of family in the New Testament, that he gave us power to become the sons of God. And so we are in his family. We're called the bride of Christ. We're called the family of God. And just like sometimes the people in your home, the people you live with, sometimes, and the same is true of you, it's hard to love them. It's hard to live with them. It's hard to be in a relationship with them But here, the command is the same, that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And when we see this love characterized in the New Testament, specifically with Jesus, that Jesus came to serve. He didn't just come and say, hey, you know, I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm going to sit up on this mountaintop and I'm going to sit in the palace and I want everyone to bring me grapes and fan me with palm branches. No, Jesus said, I am this, but I came to serve. So this is the characterization of the love of God. What does it look like? It looks like serving. How can I serve you? How can I be a blessing to you? What can I do for you? And this is the love of God with which we are to love each other, that I'm going to serve you and we're gonna serve each other. And this is where relationship will flourish. And we see this love on display in the gospels. And again and again, I, I, I say this, and I think it's so important to note and to understand That love is beyond nice feelings, just having sweet feelings for somebody. And the love that we see that Jesus loved his disciples, it is a love of compassion, and it is a love of care, 
There's important parts of love. But another important part of love is correction. He was constantly correcting his disciples. And so this multifaceted understanding of love, again, it's just these ideas can get commandeered and they can get um, changed. The definition of love can get changed and culture can change the definition of love. But we want to get love as defined by the scriptures. And then we want to live that out. And when we think about loving people differently, and I always bring this up and it's, it's very it's very good way to think about it. The way you love your children is not the same way you love your spouse. Because how you love your children is by constant correction and training. But that's not the same way I love Nicole. Are you here this morning? I'm not raising Nicole. It's too late. And she's not raising me. It's too late. But there's ways that we see in the scripture for us to love our spouse. We can't be loving our spouse the same way we would love our children. This multifaceted understanding of love. Love that has standards. Love that is corrective. Love that teaches. Love that has compassion and care. All of it together. And there's this other thing that we see in the scriptures that Jesus said. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And again, an idea unique in all of human history, and it comes from Jesus. In other words, don't take revenge. Now, if we would stop for a second and we think about history, how would history be different if people and countries didn't take revenge? And instead, we prayed for each other. Pray, love your enemies. And so when we think about this, again, we, we have these standards given to us from God. And, it, and, and we, we hold the line on the word of God. And that just simply means we're going to disagree with some people in culture about certain things, right? But we can disagree in a loving way. I could disagree with you and still love you, still care about you, but I don't have to agree with you. The world says something different. If you don't agree with me, you hate me. No, I just disagree with you, but I still love you. This is the Jesus way. That we would know what the word of God says and we would stick to it and we would align with that. And then we would love people while believing the word of God. That's a big discussion right there. So Jesus is calling all of his disciples into these relationships. Matthew, sorry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 says this. This is the original call that Jesus gave to his disciples. He says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So here's this idea that we are called to be influencers, not just a, a TikTok influencer, not just an online influencer, but an influencer with the relationships that we have. What was the call that Jesus gave to his disciples and then therefore obviously to us? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, salvation. I'm giving you this gift of relationship with myself and... I want to make you fishers of men. I'm calling you into relationship with other people and I'm calling you to be an influence on them. 
This is the responsibility as a follower of Jesus. And again, it's just so easy for us to be influenced by the world, to the, the culture of the day. And whatever the world says is good might not actually be good. And so our salvation, our primary relationship is this vertical relationship with God. God, what do you say about every aspect of my life? And then I want to live that out on the horizontal. Follow me, vertical, and I will make you fishers of men, horizontal. He's calling all of us to be influencers from the ways and heart of God. What a gift it is to follow Jesus. But what a responsibility it is to be fishers of men, to call people to a relationship with God, to call other people to follow the ways of God. Man, this is the responsibility Jesus gives us. So everybody that Jesus invites into his salvation, he also invites into his mission. It's a both end. It's the vertical and it's the horizontal. We cannot disassociate our relationship with God from relationship with people. It is the same call. It's one and the same. So God is calling us to be influential in relationships. And again, this is so important to note because there are certain relationships that it's good to let people influence you. Do you have any good friends that can inspire you and challenge you in the best possible ways? Those are the people that I want to have influence on me. Somebody who's further ahead, somebody who has accomplished something that I want to accomplish. I let that person influence me. Somebody who has a more intimate relationship with God than I do, I let that person influence me. But I don't let the ways of culture influence me. I don't let secular culture dominate my thinking. What type of relationship am I in with individuals? Because we are in all different types of relationships. But what is he calling us to do? He's calling me to be an influence on others. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we have a specific mandate from the scripture, how we're influencing people outside of the church. First Peter chapter 2 verse 12 says this. Live such good lives among the pagans, or that just means people who don't have a covenant with God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Even though they accuse us of doing wrong, even though today good is called evil and evil is called good, people don't look at us and accuse us of certain things, that we're just going to be living good lives. Now, what does it mean to live a good life? You know, I, I'm hopeful that you're blessed and you've got a great house and cars and all the rest of it and your RSPs are bursting. I, I pray that that is true for you. But there's more than that than, than is defining a good life. Because you can have all of those things and if you have consternation and fighting in your home, how many of you know that all of those blessings don't overcome that? Living a good life, living as an example. I had uh, one of my high school, one of my daughter's high school teachers mentioned something to my daughter one time that just how she was 
told her something about her family life, how Avery was very respectful and the way she operated herself in in the classroom. And so again, that was just an example. Just living a good life in front of somebody else can be an influence. And this is what God wants for us. This is what God is asking of us to embrace this responsibility, live such good life. So here, so what is that? Those are for people outside of the church. We're supposed to be influencers in culture and not the other way around. We're not supposed to be letting culture dominate us. We're supposed to be living as an influence. So that, that, is, our, that is our command for outside of the church. But what about inside the church? How are we supposed to be living in here? Because again, as the family of God... It's not always easy. You've already told your neighbor. It's, it's hard to love them sometimes. And we see these letters in the New Testament as knowing Jesus said, hey, my followers, they're going to be famous for loving each other. This is what Jesus said about us. And so these letters are unpacking, practically speaking, how to live out the ethic of love. And we see this over and over again. We're just going to read a couple before we finish this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says this. Let love be genuine. And we get to stop there and think about that for a while and be convicted. In the context of the family of God, that we would just genuinely love people, care about them, have compassion on them. Be in a relationship with them. Be a friend to them. This this is how love is characterized in the body of Christ. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And again, I have told you many times, you know, (laughs) growing up in church, I just hated when people call each other brother and sister. But again, I just felt like it was like with a weird accent or something. Oh, brother. It's so good. I'm like, hey, why not say, hey, bro, it's so good to see you. Just flows so much easier. But this brotherly affection, in other words, we're going to treat people at the church like our family. Are you here this morning? That we would treat the moms and dad at church like I would treat my mom and dad. We treat them with respect. And then the people that are younger than you at church, you're treating them like your children. And then again, there's this familial call that we're going to act like a family of God. Not in a weird way, not in a strange way, but just a genuine way. That we are the family of God. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So it's a competition in the best possible way that we're going to honor each other. And this is what people are doing who are on the city team. What are they doing? They're honoring you by serving you, serving your kids and your students. And so you should honor them. I haven't heard any reports lately, so I'm not thinking about anything specifically, but I'm going to mention because this comes up once in a while. In city kids, there's people honoring you and your children by teaching them about Jesus. So when you go to pick them up, you should be nothing but grateful. Nothing but grateful. Nothing but grateful. Oh, it's just taking so long to pick up my child this morning. What? 
they are teaching your children about Jesus. You're sitting here listening to great preaching. <laughs> you should just be going in there, just be so grateful with a smile on your face. Not in a rush, not angry at the person ahead of you. <laughs> Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This is for us in relationship. That my zeal for God and the house of God is going to affect somebody else. That I can be a blessing to somebody else. When I go to church today, I'm going not only to worship God and to hear great preaching, but I'm going to be in relationship with somebody else. And my zeal can affect them in the best possible way. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. (coughs) Be constant in prayer. These are all relational things. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hey, let's go for lunch today. Hey, let's get together sometime. Thinking about other people. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That is family. At the family of God, any given Sunday morning, we can be rejoicing with somebody. That a baby is born. That they got the promotion. That they got into a new house. They got some sort of blessing. And the very same Sunday... Somebody else could have had a loved one pass away. Somebody else could have lost their job. Somebody else could have had the worst possible week. And so what are we doing on those Sundays in relationships? We're rejoicing with this person, and then we're going to weep with this person. Because this is what family does. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Don't be arrogant in the church. We are all equally in need of a savior. If you've been saved 50 years, I love it. Thank God for it. But I want to honor the person that just got saved last week as much as I honor you. Amen. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do you feel how to outwork love? It's possible. So as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all beloved. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we leave those things to the Lord. We won't be organizing vengeance in our mind. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I'm going to go back to verse 20 to explain it here, because like heap burning coals. Because in our minds, we're like, that's not a good thing. So I'm going to do something good, but then it's like I'm burning people? What does this mean? Let me just explain to you in this culture. This is from one of my commentaries. Kindness to one's enemy, giving him food or water, is like heaping burning coals on his head. This is a quote from the Old Testament. Sometimes a person's fire went out and he needed to borrow some live coals to restart his fire. Giving a person coals in a pan to carry home on his head was a neighborly kind act. It made friends, not enemies. 
Also, the kindness to show giving someone food and water makes him ashamed of being an enemy, but bring God's blessing on the benefactor. Compassion, not revenge, should characterize believers. Now, does that help you understand that better now? Because not every, they didn't have gas stoves back then, so it wasn't easy to light a fire. So giving the coals of fire was not, I'm going to burn my enemies, was I'm going to bless people, working out the ethic of love. 1 John 4, verse 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. And what type of love is that? It's a love that we don't deserve, that we don't always qualify for, that we're not good enough to receive the holy, pure love of the Savior God. So this is how we love. Because he's given us love. And this is why we love. Because he has poured out his grace upon us. And so it's easy, again, to think, you know what? My husband today, Pastor Brandon, I know you're talking about love, but my husband doesn't deserve it. Exactly. That's exactly right. See, how we love is different. This is what sets followers of Jesus apart, or it should. Because, again, we think they don't deserve it. If I'm going to give relational energy there, there's no, there's, no, there's no return on my investment to spend time teaching kids about Jesus. There's, no, there's, there's nothing. I'm, I, I leave those kids. You know, they're going to go home to somebody else. But what is the eternal return on investment? Teaching someone's children about Jesus. That's the type of love that God gives us, a love that we don't deserve that we can't earn. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, verse 20, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. It's pretty straight, isn't it? For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. This is the type of legacy that God wants us to create. That we would embrace living out the multifaceted nature of the love of God. This is a command for us. Love God, love your neighbor. Finally this, in James 5, verse 12. And this should characterize love for us. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, nor by heaven, or by earth, or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So you don't need to make some big, dramatic promise. I'll come, I'll be there, and then be there. Be, be a committed person. To who? The people of God. This is brothers and sisters. This is the family of God. Is any among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. 
if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now listen. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Ways that we've missed it. Ways that we've missed the mark as it relates to God's word. And this, again, this denotes some sort of close relationship. You're not going to walk up to a stranger this morning and, hey, I'm going to tell you my deepest, darkest sin. (laughs) It's not going to happen. But somebody that you know, somebody that you know cares for you, and somebody who you know is not going to spread it around the church, that you can be like, man, I'm really struggling with this. Will, Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This should characterize how we are with each other in the family of God. Somebody asks for prayer. It's, yeah, we pray. This is what we do for each other. This is the family of God. Let's just pray this morning. Father God, we, we love you so much. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you've given us, that you poured out your love upon us and you poured out your love in us so that we can love others. So God, today we commit again to love our neighbors as ourselves. This great love that you've given us that we don't deserve. We're so thankful for it today. that we don't have to be afraid because you love us. That your love is strong, your love is pure, your love forgives, your love gives grace. We thank you for all of that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you pour out your mercy upon us. And then all of those things we can live out in our relationships. God, we commit again to love your bride to love your family, to love our brothers and sisters, to rejoice together, to weep together, to pray together, to honor each other, to serve each other. God, it is our greatest privilege to serve your family. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, you know what? The invitation to be part of the family of God is always going out. The gospel, the good news story is all about Jesus. Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. Because all of that happened, God just offers us a relationship with himself. It just comes as a gift. We can't qualify for it. We can't pretend that we're perfectly moral and say, God, look how good I am. Because none of us, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't offer that to God. We can't create some sort of religion some sort of system and say, God, look at all the holy things that I'm doing and then offer that to him. The scripture tells us that Jesus came down. He came to us and he made a way for us. And then he just gives us this gift of eternal life. He just gives us this gift of righteousness and all we have to do is say yes to it. So if you have never done that this morning, I'm gonna pray a prayer here in a second. I invite you to pray along with me. Or maybe you're here this morning and you used to be in a relationship with God or you feel distant from God this morning. You know, God is not mad at you this morning. God is inviting you close to himself again. 
you pray along with me as well today. So church, we're gonna pray this out loud together, praying with maybe somebody who's praying it for the very first time, or maybe they're rededicating their life to Christ. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray this out loud together. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So I say yes to that relationship. I say yes to your righteousness. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways and I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's congratulate those that did that today. Hey, if that is you this morning, either for the very first time you said yes to Jesus or you rededicated your life to Christ, the connect card that's there in the seat pocket in front of you, we just ask you to just grab that card, check off the appropriate box. And we actually have some books and materials that we would love to give you free of charge that will help you on your discipleship journey. Jesus has called us all to be disciples. That just means a lifelong learner. This is just a one-time moment where we say yes to Jesus, but discipleship is the ultimate call. So these books and materials will get you started on your discipleship journey, but we are so glad you made that decision today. Um, one last thing before we go today. If you came to church this morning hoping to have somebody to pray with you or for you, some of our church leaders are going to be up here at the front of the stage immediately after service is dismissed, and they will be happy to pray with you about any of those circumstances. So let's all stand up together today, and our leaders are already making their way up to the front. Just one more reminder before we go today. Um, Again, if you're going to be giving in the legacy offering and you're still not sure uh, what you want to give, go ahead and grab an envelope and make it a matter of prayer sometime this week. And then uh, we will all be able to give in this legacy offering for this year. Well, thank you for coming to church this morning. We will see you next Sunday as we celebrate dads. Wait, are we celebrating dads next week or what? It's going to be great going to be a lot of fun. So we'll see you next week. You are dismissed.